Banging on a trash can. Strumming on a street light. That little voice be calling me, calling me. That little voice be calling me, calling me. What's up, y'all? You guys remember that song from Hey Arnold? I don't know if you do. Either way, great cartoon. This is Nick. I'm a broadcast manager over here at Sports Pack 12. And this is going to be the launch of the Nick Bartlett Show. You may know me from the Sports Pack 12 mailbags, the Dane and Nick Show, Oregon Sports News, and a variety of other publications. But I'm grateful to be here today. And this is a Sports Pack 12 original, so do not forget that. One thing that I really want to stress is we're all the same. And what I mean by that is, look, I have an opinion. You guys have an opinion. And my opinion is no more valuable than yours. I just like talking. Pretty much your run-of-the-mill sports show, just like every other show out there. But I may add a little tinge, a little twist, a little fire. You know what I'm saying? But seriously, thank you guys. Here to talk some Pac-12 sports. Probably a little bit broader topic in general with the cancellation of the season. So we're going to be talking sports in general. Thanks for tuning in as always. And without further to it, without further to it, without further ado, let's get to it, baby. Welcome back, everyone. Wow, there have been a lot of changes since last week's episode. Heck of a lot of changes, needless to say. So, who could have predicted this? But guys, it's 2020, so who the frick knows? Who the frick really knows? In today's episode, I'm going to give you my opinion on college football with the focus on the Pac-12, and I'm probably going to piss a lot of people off in the process. I'm also going to break down the main obstacles needed to get the football season running by October 31st, talking about the specifics with the Pac-12 there, going to touch on Clay Helton a little bit, and some of the California rules and regulations. But the main thing today, I'm going to start off again with my take on the Pac-12 football season, and we're also kind of going to discuss the main obstacles needed to overcome to get the football season running. So without further ado, let's get right into it. And oh boy, have I been waiting for the microphone. I had to drink a little chamomile tea to chill down because none of this makes sense. None of it. You can talk about the Big Ten. You can talk about the NCAA. You can talk about the Pac-12. Talk about the ACC. Whoever the frick you want to freaking talk about. This college football season makes no sense. It's absolutely booty. And I don't even know what anybody thinks the heck they're doing. Obviously, obviously, people are putting financial implications over everything freaking else. Everything. Everything. We're talking the health of 22-year-olds. If this disease is so deadly, so deadly, that we all have to wear freaking masks, that families are afraid to hug each other, and we're going to put these kids on the football field? Doesn't sound that deadly to me. Doesn't sound dangerous at all. Doesn't sound like something we should really be concerning. If this is the case, and we're going to bring them back college football, then open up society. That's all I'm saying. Open up everything. Open up the bars. Don't get mad when people are partying. Don't get mad for over fraternities. You know what I'm saying? That's enough on the societal stuff. In terms of actual football, I touched on it briefly last week. Some of the best players have already opted out. We'll kind of see... If they choose to opt back in. Last week I believe they talked about Panesa Wool, Tay Martin, Colin Schooler, and Bynum from California. Blanking on his first name. The cornerback. So all those players have opted out. And 
What we're looking at here that really, really kind of makes no sense to me. You're talking about a five or a six game season. Like, that's not a real champion. This isn't the NBA or the NFL where we can call strike and these kids are really making a lot of money off of it, at least not yet. This is a five or six game college season. You can't rule the best team in five or six games, specifically in a sport like football. Specifically, these kids are not going to have adequate time to practice. Some of the best players have already left. Who knows what else they're dealing with with all the wildfires. Kind of the smoke subsided here in Seattle, but I can't speak for other places and the damages to their house and their family's houses, that sort of thing. A pandemic going on and we're talking about football. Obviously, from the Pac-12 standpoint, they're in a no-win situation now. The Big Ten, for lack of better terms, completely screwed them. I don't know the intricate details between the two conferences and if they discussed this or the Big Ten went about about making this move themselves. I'm not sure exactly. But obviously, from the Pac-12 standpoint, football has to take place. I think everyone knows that by now. From my moral standpoint, we know that the Pac-12 doesn't have the balls to say no. They're going to ride the NCAA coattails. They're scared. They're scared. At this point, they're the only major conference left out, and now they have to play, right? I mean, that's what all the hoopla hype and all the big Pac-12 heads have been saying, and it's going to happen now. And again, this is still my take, my rant, and I'm going to dive in on the deeper details here. I'm going to break down a little bit about the coaches and commissioners meeting and what we need to kind of happen for Pac-12 football to get underway here in the next segment. So I will touch on that. See if I got anything else to rant about. My T's too far, a little out of distance right now. Hmm. No, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I just want to say again, a five or six game season that this isn't football. Oh wait, I'm not done. I thought that I was done. I thought I was done, guys. We, we thought I was done. Guys. Guys, 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 and gals, and my gals out there, what if now one or two schools in the conference gets affected with the coronavirus, a positional group or whatever, and we have to miss one or two games? Now you're crowning a four-game champion? What is this? What is this? This, like, Like, I don't know if I just said this or not, but in football, you need to kind of figure things out for three or four games. And the beautiful thing about football or difficult thing, depending on your perspective is there's just such a different scheme each week, particularly at the college level, at the pro level, obviously all the guys are so good. Things are kind of more, I don't want to say simpler, but there's less you can do at the NFL level because players are just so good. I mean, if you're looking at college football, we got like Navy running a triple option down to Mike Leach running a spread offense. And With all these different types of schemes, now a team losing one game to just some sort of scheme that doesn't work or doesn't mesh up well with their personnel, that could be it. If I'm Oregon, really, wow, Oregon fans are actually going to like me for once? What's happening here? This this is new. But if I'm Oregon, I'm particularly not liking this. Obviously, they lost Panesu Wool. That's going to hurt just about everything. But if you're the Ducks, I still pick the Huskies to win the conference this year. Stand by that, and I've been saying that all summer, all spring, and I guess we're in fall now. But 
If I'm the Ducks, who are largely projected by a wide, wide network of Pac-12 analysts to win the conference this year, I am pissed. Because now one loss, and we're suddenly not considered a good team. Say if they lose to UW in that opening week, and rumors actually just coming from uh, Wilner's, uh, John Wilner's Twitter, kind of saying that one of the main obstacles left on the Pac-12 schedule is getting Oregon a bye before the UW game. Why does that matter, first off? I mean, I, I, he's a great reporter. I respect that. But, like, why? Why? If we're going to do this season, now you're making favors for certain teams? Is anyone securing, I don't know, like, a cow not playing a freaking Notre Dame? That game's obviously not in the schedule. But you see what I'm saying here? So many little elements and facets and just multiple, multiple layers. I love saying multiple layers. Things that just aren't adding up for a very successful Pac-12 season. I personally have not watched one college football game this year. Want to know why? Because when you turn on the freaking news today, you got a game like Baylor versus Houston canceled. That's a big football game. It may not be Alabama-Clemson, but that's a game I'd be looking forward to watching normal seasons. Maybe not the whole game, but flicking in, maybe seeing a couple plays here or there. I believe you also had like a North Carolina kind of lesser scale game be canceled. And we're having games being canceled every week. And this isn't basketball. This isn't baseball. This isn't soccer. This is football. One game. Missing one game. Particularly at the college level. Stephen A. Smith. is blasphemous. It is freaking blasphemous. Like, that's a huge deal. One loss at the college football level is the difference between a national championship team or a Rose Bowl team. It's the difference between, on a smaller scale, a bowl team and a team who's getting no postseason action. There's just so much weight on each and every college football game. And if one game gets canceled, let alone, as I mentioned at the top, let's hope this doesn't happen, that a player gets seriously sick. But on a much lesser scale, just talking about football here, if one game gets missed, say the Oregon versus Washington game, hopping back into that. Players from both teams now test positive. What? What happens? What, what, what happens? You're going to crown freaking, I don't know, Oregon State Pac-12 champions? Sorry, Beaver Nation, but you sure as hell ain't won the title this year. So I, I just don't get it. And the one last thing I really want to say here is, yes, they're going to be providing daily testing on campus or whatever, whatever for the players, daily testing, Results back in 15 minutes. How does this prevent anything? This is just a detection protocol. This doesn't prevent ish. If a player was sick earlier in the day and spent time around his teammates and even took his mask off for five minutes around aforementioned teammate, well, no aforementioned teammate, but around another teammate who had his mask off, game's off. You can't test that. Okay, guys. I've been ranting for 10 minutes. <laughs> wow. That's probably about half the show there. This time I'm done. Whew. All right, guys. Take a deep breath. I, I've been holding that in for a while. Probably could give you more, but as I said, we do have some other facets of the show to get to and some pretty cool things happening. So the first 10 minutes, all my take. And now we're going to hop into really what to look for in regards to the Pac-12 and Chancellor's meeting. If you've been following the Pac-12 closely this week, a lot of this information is probably spillover. You probably know most of it already, but for the kind of viewer who has, you know, 
been working a full-time job, taking care of the kids will get you caught up, you know, maybe not everyone has as much time as I do or other people in one love. We, we got to take care of everyone on the show. So one and kind of the first big aspect to consider is whether the PAC 12 teams will begin practice before the tests arrive on campus or can they participate in kind of full practices beforehand? It looks like as of this week, practicing has been approved. Probably hop in this a little later, but most recent information is that the Los Angeles County kind of health department stated that essentially USC and UCLA can do full contact practices. And same thing with the Oregon schools. They can also do full contact practices. This was not allowed to the best of my understanding. I know for a fact in California earlier this week. So this is all breaking news as of this week. So that's the first thing to kind of consider where we're at right now in terms of the whole protocol. Essentially, the Bay Area schools need to get approved by their local health authorities to essentially practice. And that's pretty much the last main hurdle in terms of legal and government issues. So again, the Los Angeles schools and the Oregon schools have been approved for full contact practices. UW, uh, WSU, Colorado, Utah, Arizona schools, everyone else has already kind of, they weren't limited by the government, so they're good to go. So that's kind of the first hurdle here. Another point to consider is how long it'll set up to, excuse me here, how long it will essentially take to set up the daily testing protocols. This isn't like a beer, you know what I'm saying, where uh, you open up and take a sip, crack, and feel a nice little buzz. This is, you know, a very serious matter and will probably require some detailed procedures to be put in place. And again, we're talking about the well-being of young men and their respected communities. So this really, really needs to be well thought out. And this really does need to be well thought out. This is bigger than just the players. They are communities they live in, so this may take a little bit. I personally don't think this should be too big of a hurdle to overcome. I mean, the Pac-12 does have a lot of experts. The Pac-12 conference is great, and I'm thinking that they should be able to handle this pretty quickly. That That's something I would imagine. And the last thing I want to talk about is what about the notable players who've opted out? Are they allowed to opt back in? I mean, we'll see a player like Panessa Woolley's obviously gone. He signed an agent, I believe. Don't quote me on that, but I believe he signed an agent, so he'll not be returned to Oregon. But you got like you got a guy from UW like Levi Onzariki. I hope I said that right. And I believe that he opted out. Can he opt back in? The aforementioned players. You got guys like Colin Schooler, Tay Martin transferred. I guess those two transferred, but for the players who opted out for the draft and didn't transfer, can they opt back in? All stuff that the Pac-12 needs to consider and how quickly would they need to do so to be eligible for the upcoming season? Talking about the timeline here. Let's talk about timeline. Right. Um, so essentially the Pac-12 has said its schools will take a six-week period for practices and or fall camp before any games can be played. Six weeks from today, I'm recording Saturday around 5 p.m. is precisely Halloween. So that is six weeks from this point, so everything needs to be good to go essentially by the end of this weekend. Maybe a day or two off. Never took a math class in college, but you get what I'm saying here. So Larry Scott told ESPN earlier this week that the best case scenario is to start the season in late October or early November. And again, for the Pac-12 season to 
actually actually take place on Halloween night or Halloween day. A couple of things need to happen here and they need to happen very, very quickly. Like by the end of this weekend, quick, essentially now or tomorrow at the absolute latest. So essentially, this is something I feel a little bit iffy on, but I've ranted. So just kind of spent the knowledge here. First off, the presidents would need to approve practices to begin immediately and not wait for testing protocols to be basically in place in campus. I don't believe that they're going to be able to get, obviously, the widespread testing done in a day or two. So the presidents do need to approve practices. I waited as long as I could today, guys, until the presidents and chancellors meeting took place. And it's about 5 p.m. now. And so still no definitive word on this. But again, I'm assuming that they're going to approve practices before the testing is in place. And this obstacle shouldn't be too much to overcome. California Oregon schools, as mentioned have received clearance with the exception of the Bay Area schools. So that obstacle has been overcome for the most part. Again, just one final step there with the Bay Area schools. And one thing to consider in terms of the actual date, it may be more realistic for the Pac-12 to start playing the weekend of November 7th or the following the weekend. So that'd be the 14th. And this could potentially create a scenario of some sort of five or six week season if the Pac-12 does indeed want to be eligible for the college football playoff. And obviously I'm taking a wild guess that that's their goals until we get confirmation from the presidents or coaches or whoever. That's just speculation on my part. So I'm assuming they want to be a part of the college football playoff, but no Pac-12 higher up has actually confirmed that. Another potential option here would be to cut the preparation of practice and fall camps to a five-week window instead of six, giving you the added week. And... This may prove unlikely because Larry Scott has really consistently stated that the Pac-12 will take six weeks to prepare for the season. I think that's probably really good idea. I mean, this is football. You got to give the kids extra week to prepare. I mean, it's an ultimate team sport. Ultimate, ultimate team sport. So essentially, again, probably touched on it once or twice, but the main things to consider at this point is the Bay Area schools still need permission from the local health authorities. And just about everything else is really falling into place. The start date will be November 14th at the absolute latest, Halloween at the absolute earliest, or November 7th in between. I'm thinking November. I'm having trouble with that one. November should probably be the more realistic date, the way I'm looking at it here. And I kind of did some research earlier this week. We're not going to dive too much into into it because it's pretty much all been overturned as previously mentioned but when talking about the California restrictions that have been lifted John Wilner again had a great article and I'm just really briefly going to talk you through this because again these have been lifted with the exception of the Bay Area so the main gist of the interview was essentially stating that the state of California never actually banned college football games being played games being the key word here Practices were limited to some sort of five-on-five full contact thing. They were not allowed to have full contact practices. Again, this has been overturned. Not sure how this really plays into the Bay Area because, again, this is from the state level, not the local kind of health authorities down there in the Bay. And that's pretty much all I'm going to talk about now. It's been lifted. But again, so if you're wondering what's been lifted, essentially 
Before this week, California schools in particular, the Los Angeles schools, were not allowed to practice full-on-full 11 contact practice. They were allowed really just five-on-five. So that that obviously wasn't going to work for football. One final note here, I think three things we talked about again today. Remembering we got my rant going on. We got talking about what needs to kind of happen here for the Pac-12 season to get underway and be running smoothly. And kind of just a little small Pac-12 note. I believe we kind of covered the meat in this episode already. But one final little small note is going to be that Clay Helton is likely to be retained through 2021 unless it gets real ugly. So the only way Helton's realistically going to get fired is if he loses every game. This is what my source was stating. Uh, I believe if he was had a losing record at USC, he'd probably be fired either way. But again, from the source, it says that he's essentially going to be safe through 2021. And a couple things to consider here. A lot of USC fans may not like him. I'm not going to touch on that today. Things, though, he has underperformed the last couple years. Last year was kind of 8-5, and five, not meeting USC's expectations. I believe is the year the year before they went 5-7 and seven and really struggled. So he's had, obviously, some tough years. And I think a lot of people do forget, though, that he has won a Rose Bowl and a Pac-12 title. So he does have some kind of, some, what's the word I'm looking for here? He does have some notches on his resume. So that's all I'm going to talk about here on Clay Helton. But again, just a reminder, he should be safe through 2021 unless he completely biffs, dude. <laughs> I collect myself. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I don't know if that word applies, but... I love the show Rocket Power growing up as a kid, and I think that means to fall or fail. Again, the dictionary word is biff, to fall or fail. So, enough of the rules and regulations, enough of my rant, enough about Clay Helton, and we're going to end today's show with Bartlett's random topic of the day. And today we're going to talk about a local Seattle legend who passed away earlier this week. And I swear, I swear guys, this random topic of the day is not meant to be a memoriam. Just the last two weeks it's played out that way, but... This guy really, really deserves our respect. Um, just a huge legend here in the Seattle region and Washington State in general. So we're going to be talking about longtime Seattle area high school basketball coach, Ed Peppel. And if you don't know about him, if you're from the Northwest or down in Arizona or Utah, wherever you are, if you haven't heard the name, he was the head coach of a school called Mercer Island High School for 42 years. That's essentially a suburb located outside of Seattle. And his influence touched the NBA, Pac-12, and Washington State High School basketball alike. Truly, truly definition of a great coach. And seriously, his reach is very, very far spreading. Quinn Snyder, who's the current head coach of the Utah Jazz, played on Peppel's 1985 state title team. And he is quoted as saying, Coach Peppel was the hub of a wheel that extended across states and generations. What he built, he did so in foundational values that represented his beliefs. Basketball is the metaphor for those values. He was kind, he was tough when you needed him to be, and no matter how hard, he always told you the truth. So that's a long quote. Usually don't like quotes that lengthy, but I mean, that's coming from a current NBA coach. I think that speaks for itself. His impact on young men's lives obviously far outweighs any statistical output, but with that being said, <laughs> my dude's numbers are impressive. Very, very impressive. He's the the winningest coach in Washington State history 
with a record of 952 and 306 over 49 seasons. Even though he made other stops on his journey, again, he's most well known for his aforementioned stop in Mercer Island High School, where he posted an 882 record, or excuse me, 882 and 237 record. He also won 23 Kinko Conference titles. He's in six Hall of Fames. Let me say that again. He's in six Hall of Fames, including the Washington Sports Hall of Fame and the the National High School Coaches Hall of Fame. He won four state championships, and they were both at the two highest levels of Washington State basketball. At the 4A level, which is, I don't want to say top tier, but from a population size, definitely the biggest schools in the Seattle area. Again, in Seattle, just for the outsiders kind of here, not the outsiders, but from guys who aren't local in Seattle, 4A and 3A is pretty much interchangeable. Those are going to be the best two and highest levels of basketball. But at the 4A level, his team captured the 1985 1993, and 1997 titles. He also added a title at the 3A level in 1999. And in 1981, he probably could have got another championship, but he kind of, I mean, he didn't argue it because he's a good man to the best of my knowledge. I actually don't know if he didn't argue it. Don't quote me on that. But in 1981, his team probably should have won a fifth title, but they lost on a controversial last second call. And it's actually regarded as most controversial ending to any high school game in state history. So... In regards to the Pac-12, he played his college ball at Utah. I know Utah wasn't Pac-12 back then, but hey, they're there now. So just give it to me, guys. Just give it to me. Uh, But again, he played his college ball at Utah after transferring from a local community college. And in 1967, kind of switching gears here, in 1967-68, he coached Steve Oz, who starred at UW and went on to a 10-year NBA career for the younger generation. That's Spencer Hawes' dad. And obviously, Spencer Hawes also went to UW and had a reasonable NBA career. Not like amazing, but decent. I mean, he's an NBA player, clearly a stud. In team meetings, and this is one thing that really stood out to me, uh, Peppel really strove to kind of build his recipe for success and first-person pronouns were to be avoided. So what that really means is he didn't want his players to be saying, I, me, my, and mine. He really preferred they say, we, us and R, and that just speaks to his character and the type of team he is building and kind of showing his importance to the basketball community as people pretty much figured out about his declining health. He received more than 100 notes, cards, and letters from people he touched in his lives. And this ranged all the way from former players to opponents to the staff crew or stadium crew members to pretty much everyone in between just shows that he's a great well-loved, awesome man. And the bottom line is he positively affected people wherever he went. So Ed Peppel, thank you for all you've done for Washington State basketball. You're in the National Coaches Hall of Fame, National High School Coaches Hall of Fame. Touched the game on a national level. And more important than all the winning, you helped many, many young men grow. And uh, rest in peace. You were a true great one. So guys, in conclusion, in conclusion today, One of the final hurdles needed to clear is getting permission. That was the weirdest transition ever. (laughs) We can't can't close it out like that. Let's get it smoother. We can't be talking about like something sad to in conclusion outro. Like what the heck was that? So guys, (laughs) breaking down what we kind of talked about today's show here. Essentially, one of the final hurdles needed is for the Bay Area schools to get permission from the local health authorities so that Stanford and Cal can get full contact practices underway. 
The Los Angeles schools and Oregon schools have received permission to begin full contact practices. Clay Helton's contract and his job security should be safe through the 2021 season. And rest in peace, Ed Peppel. And oh yeah, guys, as for my rant, I think that damn near (laughs) speaks for itself. So thanks for listening as always, guys. And it looks like we're going to have some football to talk about real soon. That, That should be pretty cool. So have a great night. Have a great Saturday. And... Cheetos and tuna.